I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We are here in, here we are, here we are in Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, where it is currently minus 700 degrees Celsius Mm -hmm. and uh, the snow is on the ground and it's a beautiful day. We're looking, uh, we're sitting in, where are we right now, Taylor? We are in, we're on the top, almost the top floor of a, of a university residence um, in a lobby. There's some cleaning staff popping around. That's SAIT, the Southern, Southern Alberta, Alberta Institute, Institute of Technology. Technology. We're here for our first time. We're doing a live show here at SAIT uh, tonight. But um, we, we knew we were going to have a little bit of time to record. And so while we were in town, we linked up with our new homeboy, homegirl, homie, <laughs> Siobhan. Not Sayo Bahan? Not Sayo Bahan. <laughs> okay. You can call me that if you want. Okay, I'll so Sayo Bahan, we are here. Jer, how long, how long have you known that Sayo Bahan was actually Siobhan? Oh, forever. Okay. I just, I just, I know that there's two different ways, or at least there's two very common ways to spell Siobhan, and I don't know how to spell either of them. <laughs> I think I could spell... I can spell Sayo Bahan now. <laughs> um, so Sayo Bahan, uh, we have like a sort of history in terms that we come from the same place and that I, I know your brother really, really well, but I had no idea that you had, um, been dealing with or are dealing with a pretty like, I would say like pretty hardcore mental, mental health issue, mental illness. Um, why don't you lay it out for all of our listeners, what it is that you, that you deal with? Yeah, for sure. First I'll say, I think my family kind of just keeps it to themselves in some ways. Like they're very believers, like my story to tell, right. but, uh, I'm pretty open about it and I don't really care. Um, so I was diagnosed with bipolar two when I was 21, um, rapid cycling. So that just means like my moods go up and down, which I think you guys had another guest who had bipolar two. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, one of our explained, first actually, yeah. yeah, explained this a little bit. Um, and I also have generalized anxiety disorder. So, um, often when you have bipolar, there's like, they say it's comorbid. So you have another mental health issue that goes along with it. Um, so I go through episodes of depression and episodes of hypomania, um, I've also suffered from like delusions and hallucinations, which are Whoa. scary as fuck. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So that's probably like the big differentiator um, where they were like, well, we don't know if it's bipolar one or two, but you treat it the same. So like, hmm. screw well, it. For those who are listening who don't know, and like, I think it would be a good, good refresher for us. What, what are the differences between bipolar one and bipolar two? So the main difference is when you get manic is like you pretty much go like completely euphoric, but also you can be like violent, um, and just like way out there. Whereas bipolar two, you go hypomanic, which for me is just like kind of like being on ecstasy, but also being on Adderall and being like productive as fuck. Right. So you get kind of like like just hovering underneath full mania. Yeah. And like it's, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. Like that's why a lot of bipolar people stop taking their meds because mania feels like hypomania feels insanely good. Yeah. And you just want that high. And then when you get on meds, you're like, shit, I'm not nearly as productive as I was before. <laughs> I, I think I asked, um, Drew Dudley maybe about, uh, hypomania or, or I made a comment that was something like, isn't it awesome to always be like in that mood? But um, I think his response was something more along the lines of like the person that he was was actually socially destroying his relationships in in those moments because he felt awesome 
but like he was really hard to be around. Mm. Yeah, Do you I find would, that that's true. I would agree. Like it's like imagine if you were on ecstasy and you were like, "Fuck, I love all of you guys. Like let's just touch and dance." And everyone else was like, "I'm just fucking sober." Yeah, and yeah. It's, like, it's Monday alone. at two p.m. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and then let's you get settle down. Yeah, you get like mixed episodes too. So like your hypomania can turn like violent and like raged a little bit, which gets way worse when you have a full manic episode. But I've had mixed episodes where like I've ruined relationships just because I was like, "Fuck you, I don't care." Like I'm way better than you I'm so, I feel so good <laughs> like, when you yeah. say mixed episodes do you mean that like you you're in mania, hypomania and then you kind of like like peek out at mania and then come back to hypomania no or? like you get like kind of like depressive episodes within your mania so oh. like which is really dangerous so um when I try to commit suicide that was a mixed episode so when you're hypomanic you have like all this energy and that's when uh bipolar people are most likely to try and kill themselves because when you're depressed like you don't even have the energy to be like how will I follow through on this plan right. but when you're hypomanic and having a mixed episode you're like hmm. I have all this energy but like I'm also depressed as shit and I really angry yeah, I should like, kill myself and yeah. I also have all this energy to kill myself so right Whoa. right yeah. right Whoa, that's, that's something up. that we haven't really uh that we didn't really touch on at all at all in terms of uh like any of the mental illness episodes that we've done whether it was bipolar or depression or anything was that that mixed episode mania like depression within a mania yeah. type situation and i would say like this is just like obviously my own experience <clears throat> with it um and working mm-hmm. with doctors that like say like this is possible to happen to people and that's why like hypomania is so dangerous and my doctors differ on like the bipolar one versus bipolar two because most people in hypomania don't go into like that mixed episode where right. they're going to try and kill themselves so you? is that a little bit more so that would be a little bit more a maybe little rare, bit maybe rare isn't quite the word but yeah, a little less common. less common for bipolar two, and more likely it's like a symptom that you might have bipolar one. But like, mm. for me, the label doesn't matter because they give me the same meds and they treat me the same way. Right. So, Cyberhand, how old are you now? Twenty five. Uh, okay, so you got diagnosed at twenty one. Yes. So what was what was Cyberhand before twenty one? <laughs> Dude, I can't handle it anymore. Yeah. I can't handle this. Too bad. Side. Too bad. It's going all the way. Also, everybody who's listening is like, Jeremy, why are you being such an asshole? Her name is Siobhan. <laughs> or Cyberhand. <laughs> uh, if you like, if you were to t- t- think back to life as like a, a late teenager, like you know, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, were these things presenting themselves? These like these episodic sort of. Um, yeah, for sure. Like they definitely were, but I would say I was really good at like hovering on that. Like I'm still doing super good in school. I'm still like super social. So like those things don't necessarily look negative when you're like hypomanic. You're like, oh man, I'm getting straight A's. Like I'm on my student council. I'm doing sports. Like I'm like just good to go. And people are like, whoa, look how productive she is. Right. Until you get kind of depressed. Which when I would get depressed, I'd be like, well, let's fucking drink with my friends. This is a great idea. Right. Um, so like it was kind of more viewed as like, oh, this is just like normal teen feelings. And there was. Like the first time I started taking antidepressants was when I was in high school. So they thought I had depression, but you can't diagnose um, bipolar until they see you be hypomanic. Why did they think you had depression? Like, where, like the, how did that start? How did that present itself? So it was just mostly like my moods were very like off, and I was like kind of like lethargic and like didn't want to do the shit that I normally wanted to do, and I was like drinking more than like a teenager should probably. <laughs> Um, so that was kind of more, so I kind of self-identified that and like said to my parents, I was like, I think something's like fucking wrong. And I went to my doctor and was like, listen, you need to give me something. And, uh, I have like a big beef with general practitioners prescribing psychological meds. Like I think it's really dangerous. And she ended up giving me uh, Prozac that was like way high a dose. Mm. And that gave me like the energy to start getting suicidal thoughts. So that's yeah. where it kind oh, of started. Whoa. Why, yeah. why, what's your beef with GPs prescribing uh, those type of drugs. I don't think they know enough about it. Like, I don't think they know enough about those drugs or the complexity of giving those drugs. Like, I don't think you mean like you for, need a psychiatrist, like a psychiatrist. Be. And I also, for me, I think if you're going to give someone meds, you should be combining it with like talk therapy because like those meds can really radically change how you're right. Thinking, Instead of feeling. just going, here's some meds. There yeah. you go. Take go them, on your go way. Home. Yeah. Right. Man, crazy that you can take a medication. So <laughs> I had a, I had another question, but um, but this is just like off of that med topic that you can give Great. somebody a pill that changes the way that your brain thinks. Yeah, mm-hmm. like completely so, changes or, your mood. So completely changes your worldview. Fucking completely okay. changes like your fucking 
energy, like everything, you know? And like sometimes, and a lot of times the reason that they develop these drugs in the first place is obviously for the benefit or for the betterment of your, yeah. of what, how you think. But in, like you said, in your case, I think to it, give you the energy to have suicidal thoughts, like that's fucking wild. I think, um, I mean like that's a pretty broad statement, obviously that GPs shouldn't do that because there might be the general practitioner who, te- who, who happens to know a lot about that stuff. The thing I do agree definitely with you about is, is that it should be combined with some type of talk therapy because, um, it, like one of the things that we've learned is is it takes oftentimes five or six different types of drugs to figure out which one will actually work for you, and if there's no like constant monitoring throughout that that process, then it's likely likely there will be an issue that mm-hmm. comes up in the first couple times that you try, and I think that that is super dangerous yeah. yeah and i think well the thing is there's some great gps out there who will prescribe meds and say like you need to go see mm-hmm. a talk therapist um and the issue is especially in nova scotia there's no it's not easy to get a psychiatrist to turn to for meds yeah. so super like it's big in the it's, news right now it's actually. really hard to do so i think like gps are doing their best like what else are they going to do when they see their patients struggling i just think it's a often a dangerous road I mean, and that's probably based on like my biased experience of course and right. it's in their name yeah. it's in their name like they're a general practitioner they are they're yeah. they're meant to know to know a little about everything mm-hmm. and so you know it's 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 tough to be an expert in everything so i think that's not a i don't think that's a, a false statement to say that i don't it's, think it's, so i don't think it's but false. I, I totally know where yeah. you're coming from as well i mean you gotta you know some some people are mm-hmm. extraordinary and um I, I wanted to did you get any um blowback in not blowback but um any uh um resistance back in high school you know talking about these feelings and anybody being like you're just a teenager yes i would say like my like i first started like i like went through my angsty like 13 year old phase and like cut my wrists and my parents sent me to a child psychologist and it was the worst they make you do worksheets and like draw your feelings and did i was say, did i you love drawing my feelings you were listening to dashboard confessional yeah <laughs> it's like such a good just band. the best <laughs> some, some something corporate they're coming yeah. to calgary and well, i'm going to see well, them really? just oh, saying they're coming i haven't listened to those yeah. guys in so long um, uh, we should do that more though draw our feelings i feel yeah. like that's something we should incorporate into like our live shows when you're like 13 you're like so annoyed you're like I don't want to do this so I just kind of like was like I'm fine like don't even worry about it my parents were like oh that was just like an angsty phase she went through and then when I was like 16 17 and it came up again they were kind of like well if you want to see a doctor like let's get you to see a doctor um and I was like I'm not seeing a psychologist like no so it was like also kind of my own fault do you remember your your the first time that you were having suicidal thoughts like what that experience was like Uh, Not like the first time, like it all kind of just like meshes together in my like adolescence where like I was like, I think like with the cutting, it was more like a cry for help, like that stereotypical, like I need help. And like, it just like gives you kind of a high, like those endorphins. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't remember the first time I had suicidal thoughts. Like I remember in university when I had suicidal thoughts because they were so bad. But um, when I was in high school, it was more, there was never a plan. I remember when I was like starting to be like, okay, how can I like execute this plan more so what's the deal with cutting like i i is it a is it like it, a cry a, a cry for help but yeah like, but like like so like you weren't you weren't you clearly weren't or maybe you were fucking correct me if i'm wrong but you clearly weren't like taking a razor and going deep into the no. wrist and pulling from like wrist to fucking no, like was, top of your forearm yeah like it was in my wrist like side slashes so like not even a way you could kill yourself with like a knife is what I was using, right. but um, it also releases endorphins in your brain. Like well, when yeah, you have, like when you get when you in get pain, a so you get kind of like you, a high. Yeah. yeah, tattoos or any other kind of like body modification. Yeah, um, is and this I, I I honestly don't mean this to sound like a really stupid question because I I do understand that it's something that we want people to avoid in those situations where they're like maybe feeling depressed or whatever, but. Why is why is it why do we do that? Why do we why do we push people away from you know, like what's the difference between that and someone like going and getting branding done or like getting like Cutting a crazy themselves? piercing or yeah Just yeah like, like body like danger factor? Is it a danger I, factor? Well, I think it's I think not only is it dangerous, but I also think that it's kind of like that that uh, need to to feel more and right. So like you right. start off and you do maybe a little cut and it feels sure. good and then. You know, you wait a couple of days and then you do it again deeper and more and more and more. And then eventually 
you know, it gets to a point where it could like go too far. I I think it's also like the danger factor. Like it's not necessarily as safe to like cut your wrists at home as it would be to like, go get a tattoo at like a reputable tattoo parlor. And like the psychology behind it, like is the person who's getting a tattoo the reason because they're like, I need to feel more pain or is there, that's part of it. And there's other factors in there. Right. I mean, I think of people who like to asphyxiate themselves and then eventually end up dying by right. accident because they it felt good but if and then and that's but they right and that's the thing is like then they died uh, yeah but like and they didn't want to i don't think they probably didn't want to but also it, there's the, like the thing with asphyxiation and if we, you know if we're talking like like purely sexually like breath play there is a way to do that very safely and like you know, with somebody, with somebody, but yeah, like auto by yourself, yeah, auto erotic like association is probably dangerous. is pretty sketchy. Yeah, which I'm sure there's like, yeah, again, going into like the sexual realm, I'm sure there's like something. Uh, you're, oh, there's definitely with cutting and like yeah. and with and with partners and stuff. Like, I'm yeah. sure that's a thing. I, I, I'm just guessing since everything's nice a thing. No, there is a hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, so. You start having these like these suicidal thoughts. You go on Prozac, which is like way too much, and it doesn't end end up being the right dose or the right drug. I take it. Um, how did you go from from that point in your life where things were sort of vague in that it could just be this like you know teen emotions running high to oh you have bipolar. Yeah. So, um, like living in Sackville for me, my mindset was like, I'd got to get the fuck out of here. And that's why I'm depressed. How many like, people, how many people from Sackville have those exact same thoughts? Like, it's like, like, get me out of yeah. this fucking town. But you know what? Sackville's actually, it's not bad. It's a pretty sweet little spot. <laughs> yeah, it really is. My parents still live there. I fucking love going there. So do mine. Hey, nice. Look, Taylor, I mean it. Yeah, I know the look you give me. Actually, one of my real estate offices mm. was in Sackville, and uh, there's actually, some very I, nice little spots in Sackville. I grew pretty fond of Sackville, dude. First Lake, yeah. All the neighborhoods around First Lake, they're so they're just adorable. I play for the Sackville soccer. They're team. Dorbies. They are adorbies. <laughs> <laughs> Three against one. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but you were saying you yeah. wanted to get out of there. So, <laughs> that's yeah. what I was saying. I need Thank to get God the you fuck did. Out. Like the lady at Unhappy uh, Gilmore. Get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. So I just assumed like my parents were like, "No, stay here for university. Like it's going to be so much cheaper to live with us." Like, and I was like, "No fucking way. Like I got to leave." So I was like, "Montreal. Like I hear that's a cool city." So I applied. Um, decided to move from my hometown. Didn't know anyone else who was going to Montreal. So I was like, "Okay, fresh start. Like it's going to be sweet." And my first year of university was awesome. I was like, this is great. Like, I'm going to party. I'm going to do a bunch of drugs, like sleep with a bunch of people. Like, this is a fun time. And then once I got to my second year of university, I kind of came off that, like, high of, like, I'm in a new place. I'm in a new city. Started to get more comfortable. Really started to get, like, down and depressed. So I started to see uh, a psychiatrist at the McGill. Um, but they only clinic. spoke French and you only speak English <laughs> so and it, it just really, really didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. So she put me on like the meds for my benzos for my anxiety. Cause that's when that started to come up. Um, and she put me on three different types of antidepressants. She started with Zoloft. There was another one in between there. And then the one she put me on last was called Wellbutrin. Um, and so she put me on that. It was a time release antidepressant and that swung me into a hypomanic state. So Is it, how the fuck can we make drugs? This is a little off topic, but how the fuck can we make drugs that are time released? It's like you take something in your mouth. You take it orally or yeah, it's like a patch. Take it orally. You take it orally and it like slowly pumps into your body. I went to school with the. It's so with crazy. The, the liquid with, gel guy. No, it was time release. Uh, uh, the guy who created it, like I his son. School, his, I went to school with the guy's son who who created uh, the time release capsule. Dude, how rich was oh. that dude? He's super rich. He also how does he it also work? funded our, our fifteen million dollar science facility. Um, I don't know how it works. He also like, was really famous. He, he had a. Uh, it was a. Um, he he also made this thing similar to the time releasing. It was a stint that you can put in somebody's heart that releases medication over like a 15 year period. So instead of having to like reopen somebody's heart or open their chest and give them like this different thing, like every year or something or take these medications, they could basically put something on your heart and then like th- that was your medication for like the next decade. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. That's so um, crazy. Cool. Yeah. It's wild. Well, I guess, I guess it would be something like, 
either had to do with dissolving or osmosis. That is it. Or, yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm looking it up right now. It's, Brian, it's you could be the scientist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude, you figured it out. Like you've got it. I think it yeah. has something to do with dissolving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's it. It's basically it dissolves at a very particular rate, and which sends it into the bloodstream. I would make something if I was a so doctor cool. or a scientist. I would make something that's more like. Uh, I see. I would tap into like the natural surroundings of the world. And uh, I would look to geysers for inspiration. So, like, they would have, like, some type of way to, like, wrap the medicine neatly into a little pocket that would just explode with like, a high dose every, like, in you your know, three hours. Just explodes in your stomach? <laughs> yeah. And Do then you think you, that would work well? No. Well, I feel like it'd be horribly painful. We'll Any scientists out there, give us some feedback on <laughs> yeah. Brian's idea. Yeah. So you're taking the the uh, the the time release ca- capsules, yeah. so and it's it sent you into a uh, hypomanic yeah, state. Yeah, hypomanic state. So I was like during my exam times in my third year, and I was like stoked on life, and everyone was like complaining about their exams, and I was like running around being like, "We have clean drinking water. Like this is the best. Like shut up. Like just <laughs> above water. everyone." And uh, I remember I was like standing outside a bar with one of my friends and uh, he's my roommate at the time and he like looked at me and he was like do you know that you won't always feel this way and I like was like logically I was like yeah, you're probably right but like I was like there's no fucking way like this is awesome I've had like a life changing experience like this is it like I'm like so moved and uh, I went to my psychiatrist like a couple days later and you talk really fast when you're hypomanic I talk fast anyway yeah but uh, you like your speech speeds up. You get kind of like I get like jittery and like pumped up. There's like nowhere for anyone to kind of like insert into the conversation. Like the conversation just gets swallowed up. I when we so we we spoke with TJ Miller on the podcast once, and I was man, he had to have been in like a hypomanic state because he just he's like the it's hard like because that. it's hard. Well, you you think that he's just like that, but maybe every time. You think he's like that? He's in a hypomanic yeah. state, maybe. I don't. I, I mean, mean, I'm like that. Maybe he doesn't do TV appearances and yeah. radio promos when he's feeling on the opposite end of that. Or yeah, because uh, like he wants to be that because it it, it makes for right. good. It makes for good. Well, he's definitely entertaining TV. And, but yeah. I mean, like you said at the very beginning, it's like you never want this this feeling to end. You you yeah. you, you feel like you don't want to take your meds when you're up on that up in that place because it's it's. Is that how your doctor knew? Was she like, uh, sh- sh- shut, shut, shut up. Just shut, shut, shut the fuck up for a minute. She just like looked at me and she was like, you need to sit down. And I was like pacing around her office just being like, I think I'm fine. Like, blah, blah. Like my roommate said this to me and just like going off. And she was like, I think you're having a hypomanic episode. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, uh, this is just me not being depressed. Because at this point I was like, no, I've just been depressed for so long. This is awesome. And she was like, ah, you definitely have bipolar. And I was like, shit. Like she's looking at the textbook and there's a photo of you <laughs> underneath just, bipolar. So my like, hand just giving yeah. a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Has anybody ever said anything to you that was like um really like philosophical or deep that just kind of like shifted your mood really quickly? Because you're you're saying that, you know, you're in there talking really fast and all of a sudden if she was like, you know what, this might be an episode and then all of a sudden like I imagine that I personally would like get in my head and all of a sudden feel like really self-conscious and then which might change my mood. Have you ever had anything No, like I that? just like ignore everyone else like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, whatever. Like I don't care to like fix this. Like this is awesome. And so um, because she was like, well, I think your meds did this to you, which is it's common that antidepressants can swing you into a hypomanic state and uh, it's difficult to diagnose bipolar without them seeing that. So she was like, we got to take you off your meds. And I was like, all right, well, what are we going to do? Like that's, I had been on meds for like three and a half years at that point. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want that. And so I was going home that summer, actually. And she wrote me a referral and was like, has bipolar two, a rapid cycling, like must be observed. And I went home to Nova Scotia and they couldn't get me in for eight weeks. And I like saw a social worker and the social worker was like, well, you've got to wait. And my parents were like, let's find you a private psychologist or private psychiatrist. They couldn't find anyone that could see me during like the time span I was home. So you Whoa. just went straight eight weeks, no meds, no meds, nobody observing me for the first time in like years. Wow. What's, yeah. what's your level of self-awareness um, in, at that point? Uh, at that point, once I got off my meds, I was kind of like coming down 
off my hypomanic state. So that's when I first went into like my first mixed state. Mm -hmm. So um, I got home with my parents. I was like, my parents were like, you are fucked. For sure, that's what they were thinking in their head. Um, I and can't I just, picture your parents saying, you are fucked. You can't picture them saying, but you know they're thinking it. Like maybe yeah, not my yeah, mom. Totally. My dad was definitely thinking yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. My, they're going to hear this and be like, Siobhan. <laughs> Siobhan Melissa. Like, don't say that. We yeah. never think the F word. That's right. We um, yeah so I got home with them and that summer I was just like whatever I'm just gonna drink and party like this is gonna be what I'm gonna do and lots of people self-medicate with alcohol and I kind of chose to do that because I was like well I feel kind of shitty now and when I'm drunk I feel great again so let's just Mm -hmm. get drunk and I asked Did did you feel great again when you were drunk or did you just not feel shitty yeah. you know what i mean like did you feel did, did did drinking actually elate you or did it just numb you it elated me a little bit oh, and wow. then like every night it would end in the same fucking turmoil of Which like crying funny, it's and a depressant, fighting right yeah. so it's funny that it has that effect, effect. yeah i don't know the science behind although that. i just, guess when yeah. you aren't when so maybe and this is again this like that do you know, take this with a grain of salt very yeah, bro, bro science lay it on me. but um when say someone who doesn't have like adhd takes adhd medicine don't they usually get super hyper whereas someone who has so. adhd There's, takes as someone who's taken a lot of drugs in my time um adderall just makes you like Kinda, it makes you alert and just makes you like very concentrated. Right. Yeah. So okay, I wouldn't so say hyper. Not so much hyper. Okay. No. All right. I would say like real. You have a real Maybe ability to concentrate. Up. Right. Okay. Every time we're about to have like a bro science moment, there should be the like the diss horn and like bro science moment. We would tell me about it. Ninety percent of our listeners that day. The diss horns, I think, universally loved in small doses and hated in small doses. I think it's really appreciated. Sick Boy Podcast. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So you were saying that you you would you would resort to drinking. Yeah. Made you feel elated. Yeah. So made me feel good. But like every night it would end in the same thing, like a fight with my friends or like a fight with my parents. My parents were like, stop drinking so much. Like, what do you. But like yeah. the next time I went to go, like I was like, no, it'll be fine this time. Like, it'll be OK. Which like shows like what kind of mindset I was in, because now I look back on it and I was like, well, fuck, after the first time I freaked out, you think I'd stop. But mm-hmm. uh, I actually asked my parents about this because I was going to be on the podcast and we never talked about my suicide attempt, really. Oh, we wow. Had, like like never. as a family? Uh, well, mm-hmm. after it happened, we had like a family meeting to discuss my they, bipolar. Like, did they observe the whole? Yeah. Thing? So well, my parents. Happened, okay. Yeah. So my mom, um, I like got home super wasted. I called my dad actually from downtown Halifax, and I was like sitting on Citadel Hill. <laughs> I was like, "You need to come get me. Like, I'm super drunk. I need to come home." No, I didn't just take a cab. But so my dad came to get me. Well, a cab from there is like. So my dad came, he got me, he picked me up. I was super drunk and he was like, you could tell like disappointed in my level of drunkenness. Uh, I got home and I fought with my parents and then I went upstairs and my parents thought I was just like taking a bath to calm down. But I was like, fuck this. I'm going to kill myself. So it was like the mixed episode I was talking about. And so I had like my Wellbutrin prescriptions and I took all those and I like filled up the tub, got a razor blade, got a pair of scissors and was like, okay, I'm going to get in the tub. I'm going to slice my wrists up. I'm going to die. I'm going to pass out from this medicine so the pain won't be too bad. And then my mom like was like, oh, I haven't heard from her in a while. Like I should go upstairs. And the water was still running. She knocked on the door and she was like, if you don't answer, I'm coming in. So we have those like little keyhole things in our door. Oh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> little yeah. pokey ones. So she like poked in and she came in and she thought I was dead, which like I didn't know that. Had you cut at that point? No, I passed out from the meds before I cut. So Whoa. I had no idea until like last week that my mom actually thought I was dead. So yeah, I was like, I didn't really know about this. I never really asked them about it. It was just like an accepted thing where like, they were like, oh, she tried to kill herself. And I was like, oh, I tried to kill myself. So wait, 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 you, so you, you guys never really talked about it. So then knowing you were coming on here, you did start that conversation. Cause I was like, 
well, I probably Whoa. should talk to you guys about this. And I was like, hmm, it's probably like something I'd want to include. So it definitely made my mom upset to talk about it. And I gave her out. I was like, if you don't want to talk about this, like we don't have, we to. don't have to, like, this is your partially your story. Cause like, I don't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she called my dad and she was like trying to hold my head above water. Cause I was passed out and the tub was like fully full. Um, and so my dad called 911 and the police and the ambulance showed up. Holy fuck. Yeah. And so they pulled me out of the water, like got a robe on me. It's a nice like embarrassment that my parents have seen me like naked as an adult. I'm like, yeah, right. Just like lopping around. <laughs> hey, my um, mom put cream on my dick when I got circumcised at 16. So, you know, it can be, it can be worse. Yeah. It can yeah, always be worse. Could def- that's and when you're an adult, horrifying. you're just like, fuck it. This is me. And like when you're 16, you're like, no, <laughs> don't look at my wee wee. Yeah. That's exactly how, what, how I said it. I was like, Mom, don't look at my wiener. Mom, stop. That was a real but I interesting. Like, Take the gods off. That was a real interesting 16 year old. God damn, that's so embarrassing. Yeah. That's why me and your brother hang out, hung out so much, because yeah. we were just really interesting kids. <laughs> Call on my mom, saw my wiener last night. Um, so, sorry, so you have this you have this conversation with your parents yeah. recently, like, yeah, yeah. La- like, like last, last week. week. Yeah. What, how did that feel for you? Like you uh, said, your mom got... My mom got pretty upset, but I feel like since I'm in a good place right now, I'm pretty like emotionally detached from sure. that. Okay. Like, and it, because I don't remember all of it, it doesn't really feel real to me. Like, I think it feels more real to her because she was there in the moment and the emotions were there. Whereas like I was passed out. I woke up from like them pulling me out of the tub and I got really pissed that I wanted my cell phone. <laughs> like mm. they were like, the paramedics were trying to like lay me down. The cops were like, she needs to leave in the ambulance. And I was like, I need my cell phone. Apparently I lost my shit. Like I wouldn't leave. And my dad was like, she wants her cell phone. We're getting her, her cell phone. Like she just tried to kill herself. Like this is what she give wants. Give her a break. Give she her, wants to play yeah. Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> like, give her her cell phone. Like get my Blackberry Pearl, you know? <laughs> yeah. Blackberry Pearl. Yeah. You gotta play Brick time. Breaker. Yeah. yeah. Pick up Snake. Love Brick Breaker. <laughs> yeah. So they take me to the hospital in the ambulance. They wouldn't let my parents ride with me. Um, and I guess I get there and no one has any idea of what I've taken. Like, they're just like, what did she take? Like, she's fucked. And what was basically. it again? It was my Wellbutrin. So I stole my full Which prescription. Which is an antidepressant? Antidepressant. That's time release. So this is oh, the part of the shit. story. So does this mean that your suicide could have been time released? It's like... We've got like a time, like, oh shit, those pills are doing what like they are created well, to do. And so if we don't get her stomach pumped in like 45 minutes, then it's all going to release. It no, no it's the exact opposite. So basically oh. what they said is like, if I had taken, I took my clonazepam too, but I'd only taken like 20 of those. They basically said like, if it wasn't time release, I would have died because like the medicine was going into me like at slow intervals versus all at once. So when they didn't know, they were like, well, her organs could fail. She could die. We have no idea. And once they found out it was time release medication, they were like, oh, she'll just be knocked out for the next day. Like we just need to monitor her vitals. So time release technology saved my life. Right. So you, so you were also (laughs) trying to, uh, to kill yourself with the meds yeah, and I was, not just the cutting. Like I you, was it, just like, okay, what is the best way to do this? Like I was like, what is a foolproof plan? I was like, if these meds don't work, I'll slice my wrists up and that'll right. definitely so work. So it was like a two pronged approach. Yeah. Okay. I thought you were saying that, that you, that you tried to, that you were like, Oh, this will numb the pain and then I'll do the cutting oh, and that will do that it. was like okay. the mindset, but I thought the pills would like would, also right, kill okay. me. So I was like, like, whatever I want, you so know, they, whatever I, they so. monitor you for like the next 24 hours yeah. or whatever. But what, what do they do when you, go to the hospital and you've just tried to take your own life so they like strap you to a bed so like apparently they strap me down because i was like pulling out i would wake up every once in a while and apparently just rage out and be like fuck you guys i'm getting out of here so they like strap me to the bed and the thing that i remember is the first time i woke up i thought i was drinking and driving which is weird because i've never been drinking and driving and i was like handcuffed to the bed i was like fuck i killed someone like this is what i did like shit oh, like you oh, thought whoa. you thought this was the aftermath i thought of this a was the aftermath driving. like all i remember was being really wasted so then i was like oh shit like this is not good and i like now I have flashes of like what was happening before but at that time i was like so confused i started like scream crying and i was like i need my mom and like i was like i'm under 18 i'm under 18 like where's my mom and the nurse was just like like, no, you're an adult. Like, you're 21. Your parents left. They're coming back. Like, settle down. And apparently I freaked out so much that the nurse called my parents so I could talk to them. Mm -hmm. And then I passed out again. And then they were like... Yeah, well, you're just like, you're fucking delirious. You just took a bottle of time-released pills. They basically, because they hit me, they decided not to pump my stomach. Like, they were like, it's... 
it's too far gone, I guess. Whoa, which I thought was like a re- really weird thing. Because yeah. I asked my mom, I was like, didn't they pump my stomach? And she was like, no. I was like, that's weird. It feels weird to me, but I don't know. That does seem a little crazy. That yeah. they wouldn't just be like, get it, get, if there's anything there, get it up. But I guess. Uh, I guess if they decide that it's non-lethal at that point and, and it's and fine to run its course and maybe like no less intervention is safer. Yeah. And your stomach is kind of like automatically a time release sack that just time releases things onto the next portion of your digestive system. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, no, it's already time released. Yeah, you should submit belly. that to a scientific journal. I think I just might, and I think I feel like you could. I think that calls for some growth. <laughs> I was about to download one. Yeah, just I, for feel that like, I feel like you could be published with that theory. Goddamn right. We can just get Donovan to put those in. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, man, that's so crazy. So, how long were you were you a chained to a bed and b in the hospital in general? Uh, only like twenty four hours. So then they transferred me from the Dartmouth General. Um, to the Halifax hospital, like that, the following like days, night, my parents came with me so I could have a psyche eval. And the craziest thing was like, they released me back into my parents' care, even though I was like raged out and was like, if I want to fucking kill myself, I'm going to kill myself. Like, so you're I, still, I was still like super pissed and like in this state of like, oh, if I want to wow. die, I'm going to die. And they still were like, sign these forms, parents. And like, she can go with you. Were your parents Whoa. like, we don't fucking know how to contain this uh i think they were just like let's get her home like i don't think mm. they i don't know if their mindset was like leave her here or like take her home right. what do you do when you get home as like a family like you rock up to your house after that just happened and like, play some right. scrabble <laughs> some What's family scrabble like in the house after that uh, well, i apparently like just slept for a couple days but like my family's big on family meetings when bad shit happens it's like it's just the most awkward situation ever. That's pretty sweet, though. Yeah, it's pretty actually. sweet. They're all pretty. We're all pretty close, so it's nice. But uh, we had like a family meeting before I left and went back to school, and basically it was just like everyone telling me like how they would feel if I actually killed myself. And at that point, I didn't want to kill myself anymore. But my mindset was like, shut the fuck up. This isn't about you. Which like isn't mm. fair. Like I don't feel that way now, but that's how I was at the time. I was like, I don't care how you guys feel. Like right. I care about how I feel, which is like a super shitty mindset to have. And then I was just like, Okay, I'm fine. I'm gonna have like I'm gonna go to Rhode Island and see my friends before I go back to school. My parents were like, We don't think that's a good idea and I was like, I'm an adult. So See ya. You don't really have Whoa. a say in that yeah. matter. It was not. Uh, it was not. And so good. you did that. You went to Rhode Island. Yeah, I went to Rhode Island, and I saw my friends. Went back to school in Montreal, uh, and then got to Montreal and got super, super, super depressed to the point where my sister and my mom and dad came and had like a mini intervention with my roommates. So it was like they flew up in the September Jesus. and they were like, you need to quit school or like go into a program or do something. And I was like, no, it's going to make me more depressed. Like I need to finish my degree. So remind me why they were like, yeah, we're going to have to take you off your meds. So because it gave me because it gave me mania. And so, so they were like, if we take you off your meds and you do this one particular thing that could happen, then then we'll know. Oh, for sure. She has bipolar. No, no. They already knew I had bipolar. So the antidepressants weren't a way to treat it. So they were like, we got to take you off your antidepressants. And if I had stayed in Montreal, she would have put me on meds right away. Right. Because I was going home. She was like, well, you'll just detox. It'll be fine. And when you come back, we'll put you on a mood stabilizer. Because right. it, it is risky to switch. Usually you have to like cycle off. Yeah. As, uh, a psych or what's it called and what type of medication antidepressant and yeah you uh that's not the the word like a psychiatric for. yeah type drug so yeah. I, I usually have to take like two or three oh, weeks the D- to like ssdi clear is that it right? and then and right? then ssri ssri, SSRI. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and then and then start a new one so like when they say that it takes like sometimes five or six different types of medications to until you find one like there's that could take like eight months to a year of right. trying. Yeah. So in general, they don't want you to be taking a med that inherently is going to put you into this hypomanic state. Yeah, so antidepressants are not really used to treat bipolar. Like, So I'm sure. on a mood stabilizer now, which is Lamictal, which is the ones that are an anticonvulsant, which I think your other one of your other guests mentioned. Sure. So it's like super random. So they put me on that, but it wasn't working yet. It, takes like, what it took that, me like eight weeks. What does that mean, anticonvulsant? Anticonvulsant, it's like what people with epilepsy take. So they don't really know why it works for people with bipolar, but it does. Huh. Right, so in addition to like the... For two or three weeks that you have to like clear the other one out of your system, it sometimes can take like 
eight weeks for the next yeah. one to start working too. So even though you know what's going on and and you have an idea of what you can do to to fix that, the, the psychiatrist. Uh, I said the really the psychiatrist. It still could be you know three months until anything actually happens, right? Yeah. So I got put on my mood stabilizer as soon as I got back to Montreal and like told my psychiatrist about my summer and she was basically like, okay, let's get you on this. Like not good. Um, but I was still super depressed. So that's why my family came for like mini intervention. Uh, and my kind of my roommates were like the most supportive guys. I live with four guys in university. It was the best time. Uh, and they basically were like, listen, if she wants to stay in school, like we'll help like make sure she's okay. Um, and at that point I had quit drinking for a bit I was like okay if I'm gonna give this like I was smart enough to know at that point or like conscious enough to know like the drinking's making this worse and if I want these meds to work I need to like cut out drinking for a bit so after my little intervention I was like okay I'm gonna cut out drinking I'm gonna take my mood stabilizers and at this point I had uh like a boyfriend all through university and I pretty much was the worst human to him like with my manic states and my depression like I still look back and I'm like, fuck, why did that guy stay with me for so long? Um, but I quit drinking, got on my meds. And then within like two months, it was like, I was a new person, but it was still kind of that shitty feeling where I was like, man, I'm never going to have a hypomanic like break again. Right. That was, it didn't feel like myself. Like I find it, I have a really hard time like unwinding my bipolar from my personality. Like they're just so entwined for me. Did, um, I, I actually I have two questions. Um, when your so when your parents showed up for that like mini intervention, how did you respond to that initially? Were you like, oh great, like somebody's here to help me? Yeah, I think I can't remember if like I was like, I need you guys to come here like before they came. But when they came, I was like, fine, like I'll sit down with you guys and my roommates and my boyfriend at the time and one of my friends. And then the shit that they said, I was like, screw this, and I like ran out of their hotel room like very dramatically oh. <laughs> and was like, no. And uh, my boyfriend convinced me to go back. And and like sit down and talk with them. Mm-hmm. And I realized like at that point I was like, if I don't get my shit together, like they're going to like figure out how to lock me up. Like that was my fear. Yeah. And like, maybe they wouldn't have, maybe they would have just yeah. brought me home. But I was like, they're going to figure out a way to like get like power of attorney over me. And I was like, I need to like do everything I can to get better. Cause that's mm-hmm. a big part of it. I wasn't doing anything to like help myself. Right. What was the, you had mentioned that you, you were delusional and like had hallucinations and shit. What, what was that all about? Oh. And where did that fall within this timeline? Yeah. So that fell probably like the six months before I had a hypomanic episode when I was depressed. So I used to hallucinate this like little blue devil and he would sit in like, kind of look like a gargoyle. He would sit in the corner of the rooms and like speak in this like, and it was always at night. So it was just scary as fuck. He'd speak in this like tongued language that I couldn't understand. What? Yeah. Whoa. And I always felt like he was going to crawl into my ears. Whoa. Holy yeah. Fuck. So I would like be going to sleep wow. and I would just be like, oh shit. Like I'll plug my ears and like was scared. He was going to crawl into like my boyfriend's ears. And I was like, there's this fucking guy. Like this is messed up. Now, are you in your head going, I'm the only one who can see him or and like oh, yeah. and I'm clearly hallucinating and it fucking sucks. Or are you like, babe, 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 wake up, wake up, there's the fucking blue devil again. He's up there in the corner, he's on the bookshelf. Oh no, like Cover I, your ears. Would, I would like tell him, but I would also know. Like I was like, This is fucking not real. And I would try and like calm myself down, but what it was looked he saying? So was he real. like yeah. He was just basically like at this point he had been with me so long that I think he was just like how the fuck do I help you? And you're fucked. I feel like, like you were just oh, watching man. too much Harry Potter and you were seeing Dobby <laughs> and he was speaking to you in like in the parcel tongue or whatever. I've been yeah. thinking that since the very beginning of this conversation. Like this is probably all just Harry Potter related, like like from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah. It could all be. of it. Yeah. yeah, all of it. You're just so, you're I just knew just I shouldn't a, read those books. My parents said Harry they were Potter. the devil. That <laughs> fucking magic. Yeah, they would have said that. <laughs> That's really funny. I, I, I'm. Was, Sorry, go ahead. Just the the like the the topic of like your boyfriend and the intervention and your friends and everything. I'm thinking about my myself at that time at that like age. Like what's that like 21, 22 yeah. ish? Yeah. Like man, I just don't know. I never had that experience. I was never put in a situation where I had to had to kind of uh, like you're essentially like corral with a bunch of people yeah, to, and, to like and be like yeah. and be way more mature than I actually and like was. Be like a caretaker. Yeah, like he was essentially like my roommates and him essentially had to be like, okay, who's watching Siobhan tonight? Like the emotional <laughs> like, intelligence and uh, maturity that. It's has like you're 21, you that. show up at an intervention to be like, hey, Siobhan, like you're 
you know, you're depressed and you're doing way too much, too much, al- like drinking way too much alcohol. You're doing way doing, too much Coke. Yeah. And then like, like, way so settle down cocaine. and, and, you know, be cool. And then like later that night being like, yo, who's got, uh, who's got a bump? Like, yeah, let's go do exactly. some Coke. And they're like, wait, you, know? you, you do this with me. We can do it. Up. We can just do it. In moderation, but yeah. she can't. Yeah. So let's real really call her out on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I just don't. I just, I just, I can't even imagine having that that capacity at that time yeah. to to face or address a and situation like, with a friend was, that was. Yeah, going through it was that. really unfair for like my boyfriend at the time to have to like handle that, and he was going through his own like personal shit <clears throat> at the time as well. So I don't think he necessarily he was forced to have the capacity, and we actually broke up that October. So like I got healthy, and then I was like, "What the fuck have I been doing in this relationship?" And he was like, "What the fuck have I been doing in this relationship?" And then we broke up. Mm-hmm. So it's like interesting that it took me like getting healthy to be like, okay. This is a horrible relationship for both of us. But there's also like a huge growing opportunity within all that for everybody, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, Did you guys watch uh, the most recent Black Mirror season with the dating? Not all of it, no. The dating, uh, the uh, they're like they're they're in this like sort of world where you're you've you've got this sort of um, computer that you always carry with you, this little like orb, and and it links you up with partners. And mm. and so it's like a play so on new Tinder age and all Tinder, that. sort of new age Tinder. But it goes, hey, you're like your new match has come through. You meet them tonight, and you, they go and like sit down, and and when they sit down, they go, okay, so should we look at like the expiry date? And they're like, yeah, okay, let's do it. And they have to do it at the same time. They both press the computer, oh. and the computer says, you guys will be together for like three months. And then they're like, oh, three months, okay, cool. And they go through the three months together, and then when they come out at the end, if it was like a horrible relationship. They're talking to the computer and they're being like, like, what the fuck was, was the point of that? Like, why, why were, why were we together for that long? And the computer's like, every match that you have is made to find your perfect match. So like, it'll all work out in the end. And then like their next one was like, you know, 24 hours or then the next one was like five years, you know, it's just fucking crazy. But was yeah. it like, oh, this was meant to teach you a lesson about this, and now sort your next relationship? Of, yeah, will be- so you got to watch the episode. It's Black Mirror. It doesn't fucking end the way you'd think. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like those those are huge learning experiences. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know him, and I don't know. You know what he if he was able to glean anything from that. But I would hope that in that process he learned something about himself and how to navigate those very tough waters if it if he ends up in a similar situation, you know, later on in life and, and same thing for you. It's like, you know, I'm sure you took something from that. Yeah. I definitely feel like I learned a lot from it. And I would say like my roommates, it was probably like equally as difficult for them. And, uh, I was pretty fortunate because those were relationships I was able to keep and like repair. And they kind of, they were very much like understanding of the fact that they were like, that was your illness, not you. Like Mm -hmm. I know Colin was talking to my uh, husband a little while ago and he basically was like, you need to understand that like when Siobhan's being a crazy bitch, like it's not always her, like it's her illness. And like, I think that really put shit into perspective for my Mm -hmm. husband. He was like, all right, like that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But did you did you lose any relationships within that process that never came back that you really like are kind of beat up about or or really regret? Uh, not ones that I particularly regret. Like, I think I took that like learning perspective on them and was like, okay. And like relationships in university kind of end and fall away anyway. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was like, what did I do kind of wrong in that situation? And how can I prevent that from happening later Mm. was the biggest thing Mm -hmm. for me. There's my really good friends have always stood by me, which is great. They're great people. I think that's, that's usually the case too. If, if you have really great friends who are truly going to be your friends forever then they'll stick through the the shit with you as well yeah i agree yeah like that's why taylor and jeremy stay with me yeah because you're really hard to be around yeah i know know it's been really tough it's been really tough since we've been 10 years old 17 years dude whoa we've been friends for 17 years that is crazy that's crazy um so you are you're 25 now yes how, what's life like now? Like how is, what's Sayobahan today versus Sayobahan of 21 years old? Yeah. So, um, you guys caught me at like a particular time where I'm like 
going through some more like things with my meds. So just like a few months ago, I started getting really bad anxiety. Um, and I started getting kind of depressed, which was mostly hard because my husband has never seen me depressed and he's never seen me hypomanic. Oh, wow. So that like that scares the shit it's out of me the most. Tough, like yeah. part of me is like, I'd like to rip off the bandaid and have him be able to see. Cause I'm like, what if we have kids and I freak out and he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. So, um, did you go into the relationship with like a, like, did he, was it everything on the table when you, uh, we've been dating a couple months. Cause you're like, when do you bring it up? <laughs> like what's You've the, been what's dating the a couple months and you're yeah. married. No, 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 no. <laughs> we've been together been. for three months. I'm not hypomanic, <laughs> just making rash decisions. Uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we had been together for a couple months, like seeing other people at the same time. And then it was starting to get like exclusive. And I was like, I should probably tell him this and see if he's in for the long haul. So I told him and he was like, I need some time like with that. And for me at that time, I was like, you jerk, like you're supposed to just accept me and like go on. But I think it was like the most mature decision like Mm -hmm. he could make to be like, realistically, like, what does this mean? I need to learn about this and I need to know if it's something I can handle. Totally. Um, Because if he can't and then the relationship isn't going to be a a good one. Yeah. 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 So at the time, like my instant reaction was like, what? You're supposed to just be like, you're the best. Of course I'll accept this. But now I'm like, wow, I'm really glad that he took that time. And it was like, just like a week or two and was like, oh, I need to think maybe on he like was, who you are. Maybe he was just playing hard to get though. Like yeah. he knew right away. He was like, oh, I love this girl so much. But it, like that's what he was thinking inwardly and outwardly. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to need some time. He's yeah. just playing hard to get. Yeah. Or, it, it, or it was a test. He was like, what if I say no? And if she snaps, <laughs> then I know where the line is of how, you know, what I can do, what I can get it? away with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you were cool, calm, and he was like, wow, this can't be that bad. Yeah. Okay, because manipulating people is always, like, Absolutely. really great for... Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how you should start bonds. a marriage, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, a good, yeah. it's a good foundation. Yeah. 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 I've only been married, like, a few months, but I know, like, that's the good foundation. So well, you've you only been together it. for a few months, yeah. too. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, time. it would be impossible to be married for any longer since you guys have only been together for for three, um, three weeks. So yeah. Uh, so what we are you? This new thing that you're sort of falling into, this depression, this anxiety. Is there a rhyme or reason to it? Like, has anything changed so, within your meds or like? So they just changed my meds to like change what's going on now. So I've just kind of like told my like psychiatrist and psychologist recently, I've been hunting for a psychologist for like the last three years. And I finally found one like two months ago that I actually like, which is great. Um, and so I thought like my anxiety had like nothing to do with anything. Like I was like, this is just happening. Like, and it's making me irritable, which is making me like get angry at other people, which is making me feel guilty and like depressed. But, um, we're just kind of like working through like what, what could be causing it. Um, and I think like my life was like kind of in flux with like planning a wedding and all that kind of stuff. And like the biggest thing to me that's important is like balance. Like if I don't eat right and I don't exercise and I don't do things for my wellness, like I'm out of it. And if I don't like watch my drinking, that kind of stuff, uh, that's really dangerous for me. So I think that kind of added to it. So my doctor actually gave me, put me on an antidepressant with my mood stabilizer, which I was like very fearful of. I was like, the last time I got put on antidepressant, like shit got fucked. Like maybe you shouldn't do that. But she was like, it's a small dose. We'll put it on your mood stabilizer. You're good. Uh, she also put me on an antipsychotic to like basically prevent any like the psychotic little green breaks. Devil little, or blue devil. Yeah, a little yeah. blue devil from coming back. So now I'm on three meds, which like it's not, I don't like that, but mm-hmm. I trust my psychiatrist to like help me through that. And like my psychologist to be like, this is what's working. And you've been doing those three for how long? Uh, only like two months. And how's it, how's it been? I don't feel like it's changed my anxiety a little bit, but I don't feel like it's made a huge difference. Right. I did have an auditory hallucination last week and I was also fucking scary. Tell me about that. Uh, it was just like music playing and like, did you hear the episode we did with, uh, Laura on schizophrenia? No. no. Um, okay. So super fascinating. This is like basically how she learned that something was not right. She was driving on the like Halifax Metro. She was on the bus. Yeah. She was taking the bus and she starts to hear the most beautiful music she's ever heard in her life, this classical music. And it's like, she's like, Oh my God. Like I I cannot believe how gorgeous this music sounds. What is it? Like I need to know this song. And she's looking around and then when she looks around, she starts to realize like, wait a minute, like where is this even coming from? Like no one has, you know, no one has like a speaker. There's no one even with like headphones sitting around her. Like there's clearly nothing coming from like bus speakers. And so 
in a very like you know a very quick turnaround the most beautiful sound she's ever heard in her life starts to become this very spooky and ominous sort of like sound that's just mysteriously appearing from nowhere and it becomes very scary for her did you have any of that like when you were hearing the music were you like and for a second, like, oh, I love this jam. I'm going to say something that's going to make people not like me universally. I don't really like music. Oh, my God. <laughs> Neither does Brian. I know. Yo, I got a message from somebody. I said it on a podcast, like, uh, like probably a few weeks ago. And uh, somebody wrote me a message and was like, me too. Yeah. What the fucking fuck? I mean, like, fuck? Dashboard Confessional. We're not putting this episode pretty, out. There's some pretty angsty lyrics that <laughs> I was like, I appreciate these because they, like, have nostalgia as, like, a kid. But I find it, like, overstimulating. And just, like, I'm wow. like, oh, this is... Like really making me feel panicked. I, so I feel that way with like I went to speak to the doctor about ang- anxiety too yeah. uh, about six months ago, and that's the way I feel too. Like if I'm listening to music and I get wrapped up in it, sometimes I feel like a little yeah. bit panicked. Yeah, it's, man, I I wonder what that so is. I I appreciate music. And, yeah, and, I, you know I see what, what it does for other people. I'm like, wow, music is great. I but. used to have like there was a time in my life where I absolutely loved music. Like I loved it so much, and then kind of as I got into my early twenties, um, I lost what I felt like was some of my love for music, and now I just find it really hard to listen to. I find it hard to find a song that I love as much as I did when I was younger. See, for me, it's like they like aggravate me. Like they just make me feel super anxious. But if you play a song for me enough times, so like the songs my husband listens to a lot, I just get used to them. So they just kind of drown out. They're not overstimulating. I wonder what the science is behind that. Like that's because that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've heard of one other bipolar person who also doesn't like music. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, is there a connection? Yeah, is there a connection? I kind of... um, attributed my own experience with, um, and it was, this kind of relates to what you were saying, uh, not too long ago. You were talking about, um, how like, I guess with my, with my experience, um, with depression or feeling depressed, um, I feel like that's where I lost some of my love for music, but I identify with a lot of the things that you, you've been talking about, but like on a really, um, uh, smaller scale, I guess. And I was saying this to Taylor and Jeremy yesterday. I was like, I think everybody's mental health is on a spectrum. And they're like, yeah, everybody knows that. I'm like, I don't know if everybody does. I, I never that. said I that. Like- I said that and then I corrected and said everybody who understands mental health. I, I never said I that like at all. People don't, people don't talk it. about that. that. Like yeah. People like to be like, uh, I feel like a lot of people now are starting to get that kind of mindset yeah. where like your mental health is important. It's not just about people who like have a mental illness. Because mm. like, I think like feeling depressed and having depression, like they're just as shitty in like a, like Mm -hmm. a lot of ways, like in that exact moment when you're feeling depressed, you're feeling awful. And Mm -hmm. so like doing everything you can to like help your mental well being before you get to those stages and like to be able to cope with it. And that's what you're saying. You're saying like you, you notice like your sleep is more important. What you're eating is more important. And, and, and that's the way I felt a lot lately is, is if I notice that I'm getting more sleep and that my diet's, more regular and, and I'm eating healthier things, then I generally feel a lot better. But if I get into a bad rut where I'm not getting enough sleep, I'm eating shit food, I'm not working out at all, then I just start to like feel really shitty yeah. mentally. Yeah, it definitely makes a huge difference. Mm. What would you say your experience with bipolar 2 has, uh, has taken away from you? I knew you were going to ask me this question. I was like trying to think of an answer before. Um, I'd say it would, it's taken away, like, my security. So, like, I live in, like, a constant fear that, like, if my mood is elevated, like, I'm going to go into a hypomanic or manic state and, like, right. it's going to ruin my life. Or, like, if I'm feeling sad, like, am I depressed? And, like, I have a really big fear of, like, if I have children, I have, like, two fears around kids. Bipolar um, is sometimes genetic. And I'm like, should I fucking do this to a kid? Like, should I ever do this to a kid? I have that like minor fear, but then also like, what if I have a hypomanic or like a depressed episode when I have kids and I'm supposed to be trying to take care of them Mm. and like put that burden on my husband, like that kind of security feeling is the thing it's definitely taken away from me. What would you say that it's given you? 
I would say everything like that's a cliche answer, but it's so part of my personality. I don't think like I'd be where I am today and I don't think I'd be as successful in my job. So I just ask people for money and have to talk to them a lot. So I don't think if I had my bipolar, like didn't have my bipolar, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. See, you say it's a cliche answer, but I think it's my favorite answer because we get that answer a lot. And I think that that is, that is a really beautiful lesson for anyone who hasn't been like directly affected by some sort of major illness in their own life. You know, like it's a lesson of like, guess what? From the outside, me looking at your situation, it's easy for me to go, whoa, that sounds fucked up. I want nothing to do with any of that. I would never want to go through that experience. But to you on the inside, yeah, it's a sh- it's hard being sick sucks and you've gone through these horrible experiences. However, it's it, me. It's a, it's me. It's an yeah. it's this ultimate gift that made me sit here right now to be able to say these words. And there's the the lesson being your hardships do not have to be this thing that we look at as like something that just tears you down and makes you less of a person. I, think Which, like, I was, I was just going to ask, like, would you trade having your CF? Like, I feel like you talk a lot about how that's like changed your mindset yeah. on life. Like, would you, if you could be like, go back and be like, Hey, not born with CF, would you do it? Absolutely yeah. not. See, no. like everyone, yeah. I feel like a lot of people feel but, that way. Yeah. If you don't feel that way, if you don't, if you don't feel that, if you don't feel <laughs> that, that what you, that your life experience and whether it's a mental illness or physical illness, if you don't feel like it is, it has in some way defined you in some positive way that has made you who you are, then that means you basically want to be a different person, which a life wanting to be somebody else is not much of a, of a life. Mm -hmm. So, and it, that is a, that is a super common thing. There are a lot of people who feel that way. It's not a, it's not an uncommon thing for someone to, for some, I mean, the people who, most of the people who come onto this podcast come onto this podcast because of that reason that it's what made me who I am. Like I can talk about it. And so the people who are still struggling with their illness, like lots of, lots of cancer, like cancer survivors, people who have, who've gone through it and have been five years out Mm. still harboring this, like this, this deep, deep. Like, yeah, woe is me, like deep, um, um, it's an anger and a sadness, anger. And yeah. And it, and it's, it's one of those things that, which is totally valid. Yeah. Mm, totally. totally valid. Yeah, it's probably one of the toughest things, but to mine out yeah. why this has def- yeah. made, this has added some definition to you as a, as a human and how you can mine something positive or, uh, some philosophical aspect or whatever it is to be able to that. wrap your head around that yeah. and to live the life like that. I, mm-hmm. I feel is, the thing is, 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 is that valuable. I, I don't think that it's limited to people who live with, with illness. I think that it's, that's a lesson that anybody can take away. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. It's like any, hardship, just yeah, exactly. hardship, any life. hardship. Like I, I, I totally identify with what you're saying and I'm not a person who would, would say lives with illness. Um, but when I think of challenges that I've faced and the shit that I, that I go through, whether it's work related, whether it's life like losing related. a game of CS:GO, yeah, or- which doesn't happen very often, but <laughs> you know when it does happen, then then I go, you know what, life is going to move on, and, yeah. and yeah. I'm going to grow and learn from this loss and Counter Strike, and, and you know, be better next time. And who hasn't had at some point in their life going, oh man, I wish I was different today. I just wish I wasn't me today. I mean, I, I remember that all the time. I remember, I remember being like growing up, being a kid that was generally small. Uh, playing a sport that when you were, if you were big, that made a huge difference. And I remember looking at Steve London going, dude, Steve's like six, three, whatever. And I'm down here like, fuck, wouldn't it be sweet to be in Steve's shoes for a day and be able to go out there and fucking throw some kid through the. And also he's super handsome. And like, and it's like, you know, that never, I I could, you can't trade your, you can't trade yourself in for, for a different version. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) You guys been watching Black Mirror? (laughs) It'll come. Um, We'll be there someday. Well, Siobhan. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for coming in and sharing your experience with yeah, us. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, it really, really does mean a lot. And thank you all so much for listening. Thanks to Calgary for having us. Man, we're looking out here. I don't know if, if anybody who hasn't beautiful. been to Calgary, we Calgary basically sits on the very end of the Canadian prairies. And oh, we're on the, about the 13th or 14th floor of a building. We are looking straight across to Flat Plain that ends 
in the Rocky Mountains. We can see it's in really the distance beautiful. the Rockies yeah. just coming up out of the ground. It's we're like, and it's pretty much downtown Calgary. Yeah, <laughs> it's unfortunate because we we literally landed here late last night. We are flying out very early tomorrow morning. Like we had no time we to can't be go here. To the mountains. We can just look at them from the distance. But if if you're if you're listening to this and you are from Alberta, living in Alberta, particularly Calgary, um, we will be back. Uh, in the very near future, so we're we were very excited to be here. Make and time for the mountains, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And spread the word uh, about the about the podcast to your friends, and then it'll be way way easier to make our way back here. Yeah, you, chances, can, yeah. you can go to sickboypodcast.com backslash shows and check out where we're going to be next. Is that a do, well? You, I guess we're going to have to make that on our website. Yeah, because that doesn't even <laughs> yeah, exist. That, that URL does not exist. Yeah. Uh, does thank now. you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week uh, as we always are. In the meantime, head on over to iTunes. Subscribe, hit that subscribe button for sure. Uh, rate and review. We love reading and hearing your reviews. They they tickle us pink, even the ones that uh, you review talking about how much you hate us. Yeah. Um, and if you want to support us, you can do that as well. Uh, Taylor? You can head over to www. You don't have to write www. Just go to patreon.com slash sickboy and you can donate to our, or contribute, I think is the technical word I'm supposed to use, to our uh, crowdfunding campaign. And it is an awesome way. It's what helps us kind of get around to go visit different cities, meet new people, create new conversations. So go ahead and do that. We're soups close to our second goal. Soups close. And uh, and Don't then once we that. hit that, we're going to uh, be showing our uh, Adorbies faces on on, uh, <gasps> oh on live recordings when we uh, hit that live stream at $3,000. So definitely hook that up and uh, contribute to the Patreon. Um, also, a big thank you to Take Part for the theme music for this show. And you can check out more of their music at takepartinthis.bandcamp.com. And also, thank you to Donovan Morgan for the amazing sound design. Can we give Donovan a, like a nickname in between Donovan and Morgan? Like Donovan the something Morgan? Like, can we give him a... We should come up with that, I think. Donovan the... The... Bi- <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. Well, I mean, uh, we don't have to do it now. I'm just saying, in the future. Okay. Uh, why don't we like put something after like uh, Donovan, like the Bone Crusher Morgan? Like, a yeah, that's I love that. That's it, yeah. Donovan the Bone Crusher Morgan. Donovan Morgan Freeman. Thank you so much. No, for, yeah, no that's horrible. No, yeah. God, uh, wait, God, if this is what we're is this, if this is what we're resorting to right now, we better step at the fuck up for the live show tonight. <laughs> all right, Holy shit! All right, or else uh, we'll never be back in Calgary. Thanks to Donovan Bone Crusher Morgan for the amazing sound design, uh, and uh, I guess that's it. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And, and I'm Sioban. Yeah, <laughs> This is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.